Now, we've been in a series, kind of a mini-series, I guess you could say, on the Beatitudes. It seems like for a couple months now, <laughs> but uh, the way it's kind of broken up. So I'll just give you a brief, brief recap. We're going to be on the fourth Beatitude, which is blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Now, if you were with us, we spoke about what it means to be poor in spirit. And that means when you come to God, you come acknowledging that I have nothing that I can give God, that I'm a broken person, that nothing that I can do can please God aside from Christ. But, you know, because of the law, the law, it it separates us. Sin separates us. And unless you can keep the law 100%, which no one can, you'd have to keep it in thought, word, and deed. And it's impossible. We break that every single day of our lives. So unless it's just me, fix your halos. (laughs) And then we taught, we learned about what does it mean to mourn? It means to see what God requires. And what it does, it's designed to let us see ourselves. And then we realize that there is no way I can do this. It, to mourn is to mourn over your condition aside from Christ, which produces meekness. Meekness is, is not weakness. That kind of rhymed. <laughs> Wasn't trying to do that. But meekness is really power, the, the power of, of, of self-control that, that the Holy Spirit now gives you to not just do what the flesh wants you to do, right? In other words, when you just want to slap somebody, the Holy Spirit now will tell you, hey, man, don't slap that person, <laughs> right? Okay, I'm not saying everybody want to slap somebody, but, <laughs> but uh, as we keep going, and the first three look negative, right? It's, you know, especially in this self-help world of, of, you know, improving the flesh. You know, you read the Bible, the Bible tells us something different, that we're supposed to crucify the flesh. We don't better the flesh. We lay it down. We, we cast it off. It's a costly assessment when you begin to look at yourself in the light of, of the gospel, in the light of Jesus Christ, and in the light of what God expects. Uh, remember, the kingdom of God, the entire premise is about dying to self. Taking those sinful ways that we were born with and laying them down and following Christ and his righteousness. See, the foundation of, of Christianity is built on 100% absolute truth. That means we don't wake up and say, this is how I feel. We wake up and say, this is what the Bible says. I have to line up to that. It's all, it's the ultimate authority in the world today. As, as much as people try to push it far from them, it's truth that we must apply because that's where abundant life comes from. That's where power comes from. That's where might comes from when we apply the truths of God's word. Now, being poor in spirit causes us to turn from ourselves and turn to Jesus. You see, it's not meant for you to look at yourself and say, oh, woe is me. There's nothing I can do. The design is to push you towards Christ, right? That's the whole goal. When you read the the Bible and, and you read about the law and all of these things, it's designed, it's called the schoolmaster, designed to show you what God expects. But we don't have the ability to do it, so it leaves mankind with a problem. But then you have the New Testament and you see Jesus coming to a manger, right? As we just sang about, 
coming to grow up to be the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And he is the one who was able to continually keep the law beyond it, all what we could not do. He himself did. And our faith in him makes us law keepers. You see, if we, if we begin to mourn, we see ourselves in the light of Christ. What it does is it causes us to reach out to him. It causes us to apply what he taught. It, it, it causes us to look at our condition and you say, I don't want to do this anymore. I don't want to live like this anymore. Have you ever gotten to that point? I can remember distinctly being at that point for years, but just not knowing or not wanting to, to move forward. It's about taking responsibility, right? We, we, nowadays, nobody takes responsibility for nothing, right? Or is that just what I see? We take responsibility. We say, Lord, this is me. I have a sinful inclination towards the things that do not please you. I acknowledge that. I, I fall down before you and say, Lord, would you cleanse me and wash me of that? I want to be like Jesus. I, I don't want to have a good life. I don't want to just do some good things. I want to emulate the life of Christ. That is being poor in spirit, laying that, laying who you are down and picking up Christ. Which brings us to Matthew 5, 6. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Now, first of all, righteousness means to be right with God. That means when we stand before God, we are right with God. When we walk this earth now, we are right with God. Remember the context. Jesus is looking out at an audience that's full of Pharisees and full of people that are broken. Full of people that have had religiousness dumped on them. And remember, the Pharisees would not dare acknowledge that they were poor in spirit. They didn't think that. They didn't believe that. They thought that they were the, the king of the crop. In fact, they added 613 laws on top of the ones that were already there. And they thought that they were the business. And then you had people that were coming around and they were just yoking religiousness on them, yoking law after law after law, designing to get them to look at the Pharisees as if they had the answer so they can walk around and say, we know what God requires of you. Follow us and we'll tell you. See, that's religion. That's always religion. But there was always a desire on the inside because you read the Bible and you come across many times in the scripture and you see the hunger of people coming out. I wanted to read something in uh, Romans chapter 3 verses 21 through 28. This is probably one of the some of the best verses in the entire Bible. So remember our first point is righteousness is to be justified. Okay? So verse 21, but now God has shown us a way to be made right with him without keeping the requirements of the law. As was promised in the writings of Moses and the prophets long ago, we are made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. And this is true for everyone who believes, no matter who we are. For everyone has sinned, we all fall short of God's glorious standard, yet God with undeserved kindness Listen to this part. I love this. Declares that we are righteous. He did this through Christ Jesus when he freed us 
from the penalty of our sins. And it says, let's see, I lost my place. Uh, Verse 25, thank you, brother. For God presented Jesus as the sacrifice for sin. People are made right with God when they believe that Jesus sacrificed his life, shedding his blood. This sacrifice shows that God was being fair when he held back and did not punish those who sinned in times past. Now, stopping here, people in the Old Testament were saved by looking forward to the one that was to come. Remember, they had a sacrificial system, and when they saw the lamb, they knew that it would be the, the one who would come that, in which it represented. That's why John would say, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So you were saved so, in, a, in a sense by keeping your faith in the one that was to come. Now, you didn't go to heaven. You went to a, a holding place called paradise. And that's why it says when Jesus descended, he led captivity captive and gave gifts unto men, which is a whole different deal. But at that point, he emptied paradise and people went to be with the Lord in heaven. That's why he told the thief on the cross, today you'd be with me in paradise. Okay, so let's keep going. Does everybody understand that? Okay, I praise God. It says, God did this to demonstrate his righteousness, for he himself is fair and just. He declares, listen to this, sinners to be right in his sight when they believe in Jesus. Can we boast then that we have done anything to be accepted by God? No, because our acquittal is not based on obeying the law. It's based on faith. So we are made right with God through faith, not obeying the law. Isn't that the best news? Man, I've read that in that translation. I was like, wow. This thing makes perfect sense. Uh, So when you understand that righteousness is by what Christ did for us, you see, but it doesn't give us a license to just do whatever we want to do, and we'll kind of get into that. It's, It's what is called justification, imputed righteousness. It means God himself, the creator of heaven and earth, looks down at us and declares us to be right with him. Now, listen. If you was ever in court, which I don't, that's one thing I didn't do. <laughs> Praise God. But when the judge says that you are innocent, it does not matter what people say, what, what all that comes against you, the judge said that you are innocent. He declared you innocent. And so when you look at the king of all the earth, for him to declare us righteousness because of Christ, that's saying something. That should empower you to live a life, to follow after Christ. But you must come through the Beatitudes and acknowledge that I'm poor in spirit. You must acknowledge that you must mourn over your condition. You must, it must develop meekness, which is self-control. And then you must hunger and thirst for righteousness. I can remember in October of 99, I had grew up in church from a teenager so, I mean, it's not like I grew up from here. But, I, you know, I would go to church, and I loved God as much as I thought I could love God. And I would hear the gospel, and I'd be like, oh, I believe it. That's right. And I would go back and live the most vile lifestyle that I'm, you know, not proud of at all. But I remember one night after hearing the gospel Hundreds of times, 
I mean, I'm talking, I told you I went to the, in the baptismal tank six, seven times, walked the aisles, every church camp, big Cajun dome things, walk the aisle, small churches walk the aisle. I mean, I knew what it was like to walk the aisle. And in my mind, I wanted to serve God because the gospel, I mean, you're around it and the gospel is amazing, regardless if you're saved or lost. If you read it, you're going to be mesmerized. Because Jesus is just mesmerizing. But I remember coming to the altar. Well, and I say, I take that back. Coming to the first pew because I couldn't make it to the altar. And just begin to weep uncontrollably because the, the veil had come off, right? You ever experienced that? I'm talking, you begin to see things differently. I recalled in that moment, I can still remember my thoughts, all the times I told God, get away from me. Get away from me. Saying it. Not just, oh, God, move. I was like, God, stop, move. My mom and dad's prayers were chasing me down. I'm telling you. I felt the prayers. Don't think for one second. Mamas and daddies, that God's not hearing your prayer. And don't think for one second that you don't, if you have a kid that's in the far country, that God's not tapping on his shoulder. I promise you, your prayers avail much, and eventually they will be roped in. I believe that. Amen. Praise God. But then I remember I began to reflect on his goodness. See, I had heard about hell. So, uh, you know, in, in, in my lost condition, I was like, all right, okay. You know, you, you hear about things so much, after a while, you're like, okay, well, you know, that's probably hot, it's probably horrible. But in your lost state, you just build up this tolerance for anything that's God. I don't know about you, but it, that, that's the danger about growing up under the gospel. You know, sp- especially if you grew up from a child, eventually, it's like you, I heard it all. I heard the gospel. I heard it a thousand times. And eventually you, you come up uh, w- with a tolerance against the gospel. You, you know, you begin to hear things and you say, well, it don't matter. I heard that before. I already know what the preacher's going to say. You know, and that could, you know, sometimes people that grow up in church could be a, a, it's, it could be a very dangerous thing. It's almost like an unreached people group. I'm not saying don't grow up in church, but I'm just saying there is, the, <laughs> there is that level of, Hearing the gospel so much that you begin to to just build this tolerance around it. But I believe if you bring your child up in the gospel, you're always putting them in position to happen what happened to me of October of 99, where the gospel finally got through and everything that I held dear, the gospel smashed it all apart. And instead of that rubble in brick and rock, he gave me the diamond of salvation. Amen. Praise God. And I'm not just telling you that because it sounds cute. I'm telling you, I remember when that happened. I can go back instead of looking at the ceiling fan spinning saying, oh, God, I didn't die tonight. And saying, God, thank you for sparing me. But it was his kindness. He knew that I was being drawn and I was being drawn and he kept at it and the Lord kept pursuing. And finally, I was like, how can I not be serving God? Right? Wait, so I'd rather this than that? I mean, the light bulb has to go off. And in Romans chapter 2, my knee itches. I'm sorry if I, this is distracting y'all. <laughs> my bad. I don't know where this come from. <laughs> I know it's probably like, man, what's the, 
What's that guy's problem? You got scabies or something? <laughs> so Roman. <laughs> That's the hypochondriac kicking in. Sorry. I'm really in my mind. I'm like, man, what is this? <laughs> All right. I'm sorry. Romans 2, 4. Don't you see how wonderfully kind, tolerant, and patient God is with you? Does this mean nothing to you? Can't you see his kindness is intended to turn you from your sin? His kindness is not there to say, oh, he still loves me. He, he, he died for my sins, trampling the blood all the while. No, that kindness is there for a purpose, and that's to draw you in. Listen, when you come to Jesus, it's the greatest thing ever. We, we have this veil. We, we think, oh, he's, God's going to stop my fun. God's going to do. Listen, there, I'm telling you, I'm not going to say there's no life like the most high because, you know, no high like the most. You know that whole saying? The Christianese, but I will tell you, I did both, and I did both hardcore, and I'm telling you, serving God is amazing. You just got to get, get it on the inside of you. You got to see, man, my elbow's itching now. <laughs> All right. <laughs> you really just have to get, on, get it on the inside of you, and allow, you have to put yourself in position to allow God to do what he needs to do. He's not trying to take your fun. He's trying to give you abundant life, right? That's what he's trying to do. Instead of hugging toilets, you're hugging Christ. I'm telling you, that's just me in my house. But listen, it produces a meekness. Remember, I told you a couple weeks ago that meekness is power under control. And God has his hands full if you are born again, believe on that self-control issue, right? It's like... God, man, he's merciful and faithful. But that meekness under self-control, which is power, which is power not to just do what you want to do or what the flesh wants to do, but power to really follow Christ and serve Christ. And what happens is it gets you to start hungering and thirst for the things of God. Listen, I remember after that happened, I moved back home. I had to get out of Lafayette because they were still the things that I was engaged in with the, with the bondages. And I can remember leaving and going home and just being like, <sighs> and during that time, I would, the, the couch, you know, we opened the couch up and I would lay down in front of the TV because my, my room was, was, was full of other things. And, and I would put on Christian television. And let me tell you something. I was like a little kid. You know how they lay down and they just feed up? I was just absorbing, I'm, I was absorbing miracle spring water, money cometh, <laughs> snake oil, uh, you know, everything. I, I mean, I was like, wow. I was listening to the stuff that was like, man, all right, finish it up. But all of it was feeding me. I, I mean, I was just soaking it up. So I'm telling you, that hunger and thirst for righteousness, it happens in the pursuing, right? Just when you start, I, I wasn't, I didn't know how to read all kind of verses. And, you know, I still had the teenage Bible that, 
you know, kind of explained a little bit. I didn't really understand. But listen, I was so hungry and thirsty and I would stay up all night watching everything there was on Christian television and was not getting full. I was still hungering and thirsting. And that's what God wants to do. The problem is once we get saved, we start filling it with other things that God told us to leave alone. Okay. All right. (laughs) He told us to leave it alone. And we like, why don't I hunger and thirst? What are you feeling or feeding yourself with? Because God is even, God is trying to take you from glory to glory to glory. If, if six months after you're saved, you start going downhill, that's not God's fault. God is saying, come on, let's go. I got something for you. I want to show you great and mighty things that you do not yet know. But we abandon ship. We go back to the things that he delivered us from. Remember the Pharisees, they couldn't receive anything because they stopped at being poor in spirit. They stopped. They, they, they looked at the gospel and they said, we don't need to hear all that. We already know what the Bible says. But then you would have people like the rich young ruler who was coming to Jesus, wanting that hunger and thirst. You see Nicodemus sneaking away from his, his, his fellow Pharisees saying, man, there's no doubt that you're from God. What must I do to be saved? Right? There was that hunger walking alongside of Phariseeism. You see, that's why Paul would constantly say we're in Christ. When we walk away from those things, we get a new nature, right? You know what I'm talking about? The things that you just, I wish I could stop doing this, but you keep on before you're saved. And all of a sudden, you just don't want to do that anymore, right? The more we grow in Christ, the more we mature in Christ, and we become more sensitive to what pleases Christ. You see, I said it before a couple of weeks ago, and I'll say it again. When you mature, you don't mature away from Jesus. You mature in Jesus. You don't get to a point where God's like, all right, and you get, and you, you ride away, and you, and you're like, God, I got this, I got that. Now, God empowers you to do that, but He still wants you to seek Him for everything that happens in your life. He still wants to, He wants to be part of everything, every exploit that He calls you to do. God's not on the, up in heaven saying, hey, go pray for the sick. And He's, I'm gonna just let you get that. No, he's empowering you. He's equipping you. And and you're growing on the inside and you're maturing in Christ. And that is the abundant life the Bible talks about. You see, striving to live a righteous life is the byproduct of our faith in the one who declared us righteous. See, you live out of what you are. A dog barks. A cat meows. A Christian lives for Christ. A Christian lives a righteous lifestyle. It's, it's out of who you are. See, the more areas that show up in my life that, that in struggles begin to happen, the battle rages on because I'm not going back to, I'm going to just do what I want to do. The evidence that you're struggling and have not have, and have not given up is evidence that you're in and you're moving forward and you're, you're pushing your desires away that you don't just do that if you're not following Christ. Everything that you want to do, you just inhale like water or drink down like water. You just want to do what you want to do to fill whatever you have. But when, when you're serving Christ, it's, he's not a, a, a taskmaster. You want to do more. You want to love him. You want to walk with him, right? If there's no fight, 
There's no relationship. You might have religion. See, religion would rather you line it up and say, I did this, did this, I missed this. I'm going to do three things here. But relationship says, Lord, I shouldn't have said that. I'm sorry. Why? Because I'm hurting the one that I serve, the one that I love. That's the motivation for living a righteous lifestyle. It's me knowing I'm the righteousness of God in Christ that propels me to want to live righteous. See, man can't produce it. I can't tell it to you. I can't make you want it. It's something that happens when, when the Lord begins to work in your life. And it's, 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 it starts by having, for being poor in spirit. Remember, starting off saying, God, I know, I, listen, when I was with the Lord that time, I said, God, I done messed up, man. I, I don't have anything to give you. But if you'll have me, I will serve you for the rest of my life. He, take my broken pieces, and if you can fix it, have at it. It's that submit, like, I have no rights, God. I don't, I don't deserve anything. I had gotten to that place where I was really, like, broken. And that's what brokenness does. But what it does is it allows you to bring your life to the potter that can smash everything that, that you brought to him. And he can sculpt something that's beautiful. And it's the life that he has for you. That's what he wants to do in your life. He don't just want to keep you out of hell. He wants you to walk as a blood-bought child of God, defeating the devil at every corner. We just throw in the towel too early. But here's what happens. We flip-flop. We fall. We fall short in the area. We walk away saying this, this Jesus thing don't work. I'm not righteous. We begin to focus on the things that we do, and therefore we feel like we've gotten out of Christ. We feel like a failure. But I want to assure you, go back to the position that you think you're not in. When Jesus died for you on Calvary, because you feel it or not, does not mean it's not so. It does not mean your name is not in a real book, in a real heaven. But the devil wants you to stay on the ground and say, man, I talked to God. He's mad at you. I don't know if there's any salvation for you. I see what Christ did, and I was pretty powerful. He beat the stew out of me that day. But... You can know that when you're in Christ, though you fall a thousand times, all you do is get up. You don't have the mentality, I can fall as much as I want. Mm -mm, that's greasy grace. That's hot tub Christianity, as they call it. It's falling and saying the grace is there to get up again and to keep moving forward. And I want to encourage you. That is what you do every day of your life. Now listen, I lived a life of sin for 21 years of rebellion, of saying, I hear the gospel, I hear it, God, but I don't want to do that. Now, when I gave my life to the Lord, before that, every, any good thing I did didn't make me righteous, right? I mean, I could have did something good. I could have not cursed, but that didn't make me righteous. Now, why is it after I get saved and I do something wrong, I think I'm unrighteous. If no bad thing or if no good thing made me right before Christ, then why does a bad thing I do take me out of, out of righteousness, right? Are you tracking with me? Now, 
I don't fall and say, well, the, God, the grace of God covers me, praise God. No, I'm, I fall, I'm like, Lord, I didn't want to do that, I'm sorry. See, it's a difference in attitude. It's a, go read the book of Romans. It's not that you could just do what you want to do and think the grace of God covers it. That's not grace, that's license. Grace is empowering you to get up and keep moving forward. Let, let, let me read you a scripture in Romans chapter 5, 18 and 19. Therefore, as through one man's offense which is Adam, judgment came to all men, resulting in condemnation. Even so, through one man's righteous act, the free gift came to all men, resulting in justification of life. For as by one man's disobedience, many were made sinners. You heard that? So also by one man's obedience, many will be made righteous. So it's not, it's not you, it's him. He's righteous. Your faith is in what he did. When you put your faith in what he did, Paul says you're in Christ. When you're in Christ, you're not going to want to go do all kind of things that you used to do because you're in Christ. You're wanting to pursue righteousness. Amen? <laughs> Listen, there, there was a good illustration, and I'm going to share it with you. You know, on November uh, 19th, 2005, I became a husband, got married. That's right. My position is a husband. Everything that I do comes out of my position, which means I don't go flirt with women. I don't try to live a single life. My lifestyle reflects my position. So when I'm in Christ, everything I do is not so I can be righteous. I'm now in Christ. So now everything I do, righteousness is produced because of my position. Are you understanding that? When Christ died on Calvary, it was not a ticket to get you out of hell. It was a position to be put in to now live your life from. You live a life from righteousness, and righteousness is the fruit of your now sanctified, all-powerful life that Christ died to give us. You know, when you look at the prodigal son, remember, he left his father, he, you know, got in the pig pen, remember that, and he got hungry, and he began to eat husk, that, you know, the stuff that the pigs would eat, which is very disgusting. But he began to eat that because he was hungry. But when he began to starve, he went back to his father. So see, when you're hungry, you may dabble or do this and that. But when you get to a place of starvation, you will run back to your father. I'm not saying you're not going to jump the fence. I'm not saying you're going to not try to get muddy. Because, you know, you get in that fleshly moment, right? Never mind, that's just me again. I'm going to keep them angel wings from coming out. <laughs> Fix my halo. But seriously, you have those moments where you're like, well, man, I don't understand. Those struggles. Man, I was talking to someone today, and they just, man, I, I don't know. You know, just through, it was through text. And it, they're just on the brink of wanting to give up. That will produce a what's-the-use lifestyle because now, you know, I'm just, I'm giving up. Listen, if you don't quit, God won't quit. 
That's right. If you stay, that's praise God. That's, if you stay committed and say, you know what? I'm not leaving my, what I put my faith and trust and hope in. You watch God change situations in your life. You watch God turn that water into wine in your life. You hold on long enough, you'll be walking in no time on the water. And I'm not telling you that just because I read it. I'm telling you I've experienced it time and time again. If I'm looking at blood-bought Christians tonight and you've been serving God and your boat may be beaten and battered and you can say, you know what, I'm still here and I'm still moving forward, then you know exactly what I'm talking about. Praise God. Listen, if you're starving right now, if you're in an area in the pig pen, I want to encourage you, spit out that husk and go back to your father. That's hungering and thirsting for righteousness. Listen, we are not made right by what we do. We are declared righteous by whose we are. It's not a feeling, it's faith. You know, Jesus was on Calvary, and I'm sure there were some feelings there that hurt but he laid those feelings down to, to follow through with the plan and purpose of God. I want to encourage you tonight, lay those feelings down. You know, when you wake up and you look in the mirror and you're like, there's no way I'm saved. Look, the bags under my eyes. I don't feel like a Christian, right? Once again, that might just be me. <laughs> but you know what I'm talking about? You just don't feel it, right? But you know it. You know, like, listen, I didn't have a good day. I didn't have a good week. But I'm not giving in. I'm not giving up. I'm moving forward. And I know that Christ is going to meet me exactly where I'm at. And he's going to continue me moving forward. I'm going to skip through a little bit. Number two, <laughs> striving to live righteous. First Peter 2, 4. And he himself bore our sins in the body, in his body on the cross. That we may die to sin to live righteous. I want to encourage you. After you receive Christ, walk in the righteousness that he died to give us. That's where the power comes from. Listen, hungry people don't have to be told to eat, right? Okay, when you give your life to the Lord, you, you don't really have to be told to pray or read or worship. You, out of what's happening in your life, you're now wanting that. You're, you're like, man, I want God. I, I don't have to be told to come to church. I want to come to church. See, he'll give you that desire. And, and in the process of your appetites change, and I'll give you an example. Your appetite will change for unrighteousness. One time I was at Chili's, and I ate some, some ribs. It was late at night, and this was years ago. I used to love ribs, but it came up the next day, and I still can't eat ribs to this day. Why? My appetite changed. And so when you live for, for Christ, the things that you used to thrive on now leave a distaste in your mouth and you don't want to do some of the things that you, you did. Listen, you know, when you, when you say, okay, well, Jesus died on the cross for me, I, I, I thank you, Lord, and you try to live like you want. It's kind of like taking a, a spiritual fat burner, which I don't recommend taking fat burners. <laughs> but if you take a fat burner, you need to eat, right? You need to go to the gym. You need to run on a treadmill. You're probably thinking I'm saying go take fat burners, huh? I probably shouldn't know it. My knee's itching again. But anyway, so because you're righteous in Christ, that doesn't mean that everything's just going to, well, I can do whatever I want. That was the point and what I, why I told you that. 
you still are going to walk it out. Really, my life, when I think about the righteousness of Christ, I want it to manifest here on this earth. I want to live for God. I want to make God smile. It's not because I'm trying to get something from God. I already got it. I already have eternal life. It's out of an overflow of joy and appreciation for what he, what he did for me. You remember that story in the Bible when the lady came and threw herself at Jesus' feet? And Jesus is like, hey, guys, listen up. When I came in here, none of y'all even anointed me. Y'all didn't wash my feet. But yet this lady, remember, she, and he said, who has sinned? And then he said, and her sins are many. <laughs> it's like, I know some of y'all probably know her. But who, she was forgiven much. So out of being forgiven much, she loved much. I think sometimes, it's not that some people are worse than others. Some people know how to reflect better than others. When you're looking back at your life, you might not have had this life of sin and drugs and alcohol, but you didn't watch the best things. You didn't do the best things, right? You didn't, your life wasn't all perfect. But when you reflect on, man, Christ saved me from that, and he saved me from whatever else I was going to get into. And then that produces a joy and a, and a, and a, a, a happiness that is beyond belief. Number three, what produces that hunger and thirst? And it's like I just told you, it's a new appetite. And you can read that in Ephesians chapter 4, 21 through 24. Now, as we, we close, I just want to tell you the result. The result of all of these benefits of the Beatitudes is you will be satisfied. You know how when you do something for the Lord and nobody knows it? But you feel like, I, I'm satisfied, right? That's that satisfaction, right? And when you fall, when you mess up, when you sin, when you, you, do, you don't have a good day, you don't have a good week, and you run to Christ, and you just throw yourself at his feet and you say, God, I'm sorry. Lord, I'm sorry. I thank you that you have washed me and cleansed me from that sin. And I thank you that I'm, I am still righteous before you. See, it's the attitude of the heart. Not, oh, I can do whatever I want. And the minute I get tired of this sin, I can go and ask God to forgive me. That's not it. It produces this meek lifestyle where you run to God. Don't you get up from there and feel satisfied? Don't you get up from there and say, you know what? I love my relationship with God. See, our part is to hunger and thirst. His responsibility is to satisfy. But like I said earlier, it's in the pursuing. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst, for they shall be satisfied. Not blessed are those that have attained and are, are you know, they've eaten a lot. They ate a lot of gumbo, some crawfish, all that. No, no. Blessed are those who are hungering and thirsting for righteousness, and you shall be filled. I want to read one more verse as we close, and we can stand here. Psalm 1715. Listen to this. one of the best verses in the Bible. Because I am righteous, I will see you when I wake. I will see you face to face and be satisfied. Isn't that amazing? That one day we're going to stand in the presence of God, and God's going to just welcome us in 
not because of all the things we did. Yes, we get rewarded for that, but we're going to look on the Son of God and we're going to see those nail-pierced hands and those, those his, his holes in his feet. And we're going to be able to say, because I, I just ima- like I, I imagine things a lot, and I could just picture me grabbing Christ's hand and feeling that hole and saying, that was done for me. That was done for my struggle. That was done for my disappointments so I can get up. That was done when I blew it, when I walked away, when I threw a fit. I mean, I I literally at times would get on the ground and pout like a child. Y'all want to laugh, but it's a serious moment. But I'm serious. It got to the point where I was like, just crush me, God. Just destroy me. And God would be like, he would just come in and pick me up like a child. And he would hold me until it passed. And it always would give me the grace to keep moving. So I said all that to say, when I'm going to hold those hands, I'm going to feel those holes. And I'm not, I'm going to know it's for you. I'm going to know it's for you, but I'm going to know it was for me. And listen, we will never be separated from our Savior. I want to pray with you tonight. If you can say, Kelly, I finally understand the gospel and I want to receive him tonight. I want to see your hand. I want to see your hand. Praise God. I see your hand. Anybody else? I see your hand. Thank you, Jesus. I want you to pray this prayer with me. And it's not the prayer that saves you. It's if you mean it. God sees your heart. And no matter how beautiful the prayer is, he sees the desire and that hunger and thirst that you have on the inside of you. And it's that hunger to say, I don't want to do those things anymore. I want Jesus. I want you to pray with me. Dear Heavenly Father, let the whole church pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I come to you in the name of Jesus. I confess that I have sinned, that I have broken your laws, but I receive the gift of salvation. I confess that Jesus is Lord, and I acknowledge that you raised him from the dead. I am saved. I am born again. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. Give him a hand clap of praise. Praise you, God. Listen, if you prayed that prayer for the first time, there's a card and has a green box on it. It says, I made a decision. We want you to fill it out. We have a gift for you. If you bring it to the the info center and we want to pray with you, that's why we want to keep in contact with you and pray and really encourage you to keep going forward. For the rest of you here, I want to pray a blessing. Father, we just come right now in the name of your son, Jesus. Lord, we just pray for blessing upon each person. Father, everything that we talked about tonight, Lord, I just ask that hope would rise on the inside of them. And Father, they would serve you with joy and gladness. God, I thank you that you deliver from any situation that they may be, that they may find themselves in. Father, I thank you that they are hungering and thirsting for righteousness. God, I ask that you would satisfy them with your presence and your power. In Jesus' name, we pray and ask. And the church said, amen and amen. Praise God. Amen. Well, if you need prayer for anything, we'll be up here. We'd love to pray for you. God bless you. Good night.